Hey friends, before the next episode, I wanted to share a bit more about my virtual recovery community called The Recovery Collective. For less than a cost of one therapy session per month, our members get access to workshops, group coaching with me, cook-alongs, yoga, recipes, meditations, and even a private Facebook community. It is seriously the most fun community in the eating disorder recovery world right now. If your eating disorder is making you feel isolated and alone, this place will lift your spirits and bring you the connection you're looking for. So I ask you to join all of us. Go to recoverycollective.mykajabi.com or you can check out the link in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you inside the collective and enjoy this next episode. You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I have Danny Bryant with me. Welcome, Danny. How are you today? I'm great. So happy to be here. Yes, it's amazing to have you on the show. I worked with you in the past through the collective and for everyone listening, Danny has been hosting a wonderful collaboration with the collective and balanced treatment center to bring body image into focus each month. And once Danny brought that to our collective, I immediately invited her onto the show because her energy, well, Danny, your energy is just Phenomenal. And I'm sure so many people can learn from you, the wisdom you have to share. It's such a compliment around <laughs> like my energy. I think it was something I was self-conscious about for a while. I think we all, especially around body image work, it's like the too much. Mm. And so it's always, it's always nice to be welcomed into a space as my authentic self. Well, we certainly loved your energy and it was a very special class and I'm excited for what you're going to bring moving yep. forward. So today I've spoken to Danny about what we wanted to talk about and we both decided that it would be wonderful to chat about body liberation. And this subject has come up lightly on the show before, but Danny really specializes in this. Mm-hmm. And Danny, first I wanted to ask you, what exactly is body liberation? Well, I think in the work of the eating disorder recovery community, our language is always evolving about how we talk about our bodies and body image in relationship to healing and recovery. And when we think about like what really is eating disorder recovery, it often is about freedom and liberation mm. around our relationship with food, around how much more brain space we have in our lives when we're in a certain place in recovery. And I think body liberation 
education is a way to reclaim some of those expectations of through recovery, we're supposed to get to a point where we love our bodies or even like our bodies and more of what would it mean to be free in our body, to be liberated from whatever those old wounds or old narratives that kept us stuck in a particular feeling about how our body should look or what size we should be. And I love also this great quote from um, Jess Baker's book. She wrote Landwell, and she writes about liberation as freedom from all outside expectations, even our own. Mm. And that liberation is personally giving ourselves permission to live life. And that definition always has stuck with me. And then on a bigger kind of social political level, which is one of my main therapeutic interventions, my main perspectives is we have to think about the systems. And so also body liberation is the freedom from social and political body oppression that often designates certain bodies as more special, more worthy, more healthy, more perfect, more desirable. And that kind of intersects with recovery. So how do we think about it in the personal body liberation? And how do we think about it on this bigger, more community level? Mm. What would everyone to be in a space of body liberation? That is so powerful. And I think, I know going through my recovery, I did not see my recovery through the lens of body liberation at all. I don't even think I noticed that it was coming from a place of oppression until I was so much older and started reading up on this. And by that, I mean, looking back at my own recovery, I can look at the beauty standards of diet culture and just feeling really forced into a box of fitting in to that and the expectations of patriarchy and tailoring my appearance to fit the male gaze was actually a really big one for me as well. But I really didn't open my eyes to that even during my recovery. So I think it's really powerful when we can see what expectations are we putting on ourselves that the world has actually put on ourselves? How can we free ourselves from that? And then also seeing it on that macro level, like when we work towards our own body liberation, we're also doing that inner work to help the whole feel more liberated and safe in their own bodies. Yeah. And I think there's also this way that the word liberation comes in too on our experience of recovery as a choice or of mm-hmm. even sort of that patriarchal male gaze that you speak of, like having the conversation with yourself and with others to recognize that often nobody had a choice on whether or not they could feel a particular way about their body because of the system, how pervasive it is, how early we start learning these messages. And I think so much what comes up in my work and my practice and my groups, and I'm sure in your community as well, of of separating from all of the like self-blame and self-loathing of, Mm. I did this to myself. I should have more control. I should have fixed this by now until liberate yourself from that narrative too, I think is a huge step in recovery. Mm-hmm. work, Right. That we actually don't have much control over what our body size is because of genetics, because of weight cycling, because of environments of trauma, of all these things 
And yet we take on so much over responsibility and accountability mm. that I think body liberation as well is turning some of that outward and being angry at the system, mm. being angry at white supremacy and the patriarchy and the different ways in which all of those things have affected our relationship with our body and food, mm. which is really not fair. And I think once folks can kind of step into that idea, a lot of different possibilities open up. Mm -hmm. What could recovery be? What do I want my relationship with my body to be? Yeah. I think there's so many people in the recovery community who are extremely compassionate and they care about the well-being of others. So when we can frame their recovery as something that can also support the healing of others and the liberation of others. Cause when you're breaking away from the oppressive systems that keep you down and the expectations that keep you down, it's giving others permission to do the same. Yes. When I think one of our shared values is this value of community and how important groups of shared lived experience is as a part of the journey. And I think because eating disorders thrive in isolation and secrecy. So many people go years, decades without getting the support that they need. There's such a sense of loneliness and that this is only me and that's wrong and that's bad. And I just need to fix it. That it's that whole community spirit of whether it's finding other people with a shared lived experience mm -hmm. or doing this work, not just for you, but for others. Mm -hmm. I also think is, is such a, a powerful recovery tool. Oh, I completely agree. I think those in recovery sometimes don't feel the self-worth, the self-worth to do it for themselves. So when you put it in the framework of I'm going to do this to make the world a better place, mm -hmm. if I can accept my body, no matter the size, it's going to have an impact on those around me because I'm going to be setting an example of what's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's really breaking cycles, whether they're intergenerational, whether some of the disordered family dynamics around food and body is like generations long, or just the family dynamic that's present now by anybody, even listening to this podcast is them showing up, trying to break the cycle, trying to do things differently, or recognizing, ah, not, this is not, something is not in alignment with mm. what's best for me or what's best for my family or what I want for my children or my younger siblings or the world. I think where people are in their journey, it could be very macro or micro. Yeah. It can be helpful to think outside ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Thinking outside those family generations too can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. I use that in my own life, just being in my thirties and unmarried and all of that. And then I think back on my grandparents who kind of felt the pressure to get married, like by 21 years old and have my grandma had eight kids and multiple miscarriages. And I think like in that framework of just me being able to exist in this place where I'm, I have freedom with the choices in life, people generations ago would have never had that. And so it's kind of my duty to embrace it and really, um, I don't know, take the opportunities maybe that weren't presented to my ancestors in the past.
Yeah. And also kind of even liberating yourself from that narrative too, of what are we carrying that is actually not ours to carry, right? Mm -hmm. What name or expectation is not really ours, but was inherited or passed on that no wonder there's distress around it, or it feels like a struggle because it, it, it's not ours to carry. I have this really fun kind of story and anecdote that happened this year where my mom came to visit in New York and she wanted to go to Ellis Island. Oh, wow. Her grandparents came in from Poland in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, right? When Ellis Island was like busy. Yeah. I'd never been before. And I was like, all right, we'll go. I didn't put much meaning on it. And so we went and we found her, her grandparents' name on the wall. And then attached to like the system, like where you put someone's name in are images and an image came up of my, so it'd be my great, yeah, really just my great grandmother. So my grandfather's parents, Hmm. I, my great grandmother's body is my body in the late 80s on Ellis Island from Poland. Like there she was and her fat body, it looks just like my mom's body and my aunt's bodies and my grandmother's bodies. It, it was a pretty powerful kind of representation of like, my body is exactly as it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's a fat body. So society is like bad. But when I see my <laughs> grandmother's body, I'm like, I had no choice. <laughs> and to the reason from that is like, I, I was always going to have this body. And I went through a lot of, of hard stuff that a lot of folks do around teens and early twenties and my own sort of cycling of, of diets to arrive kind of at this place is, is pretty cool to be like, this is my body. It was always going to be my body. And there's not really much I could do to change mm-hmm. my genetics. Yeah. That's that a is- liberation. Absolutely. And that is such a powerful moment to come across that and see, wow, this is the body that was gifted to me and my ancestors from generations ago. And I think, how did you feel in that moment when you, when you saw your great grandmother's almost identical body to yours? I mean, it was quite moving. And I think it was a pretty powerful moment to kind of share with my mom too, because if we think about like the intergenerational and growing up in like the late eighties, early nineties, it was, my mom was right there in it, in that kind of diet culture and this expectation that, that my body and her body should not be like her grandparents' body. And so it was pretty powerful to just sort of sit with her on the bench on Ellis Island in our shared bodies, looking at a picture of her grandmother, my great grandmother of like, here we are. And how cool is it to be at this place where we where neither of us, I think she has grown a lot from, I mean, having a eating disorder by the image therapist doctor can't help, but kind of <laughs> learn along the way. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think it was pretty powerful for her too, to recognize that she's found her own version of body liberation as well. Mm-hmm. Very different than my path. It's very different than everybody who's also on this journey. Mm-hmm. But I think to find your own 
definition of liberation, your own words describe what relationship with your body you were looking for. I know we talked about that in our group last month, but around your version of body love might not involve the word love at all. It might be neutrality. It might be acceptance. It might be kindness, mm-hmm. respect, trust, mm-hmm. peace, gratitude. I mean, just, we could find any word. And I think that's body liberation too. It's just like, you have to find your own thing that feels authentic to you. Absolutely. I think it was very powerful in the group when you offered that idea of just picking your own descriptor of like body love, body kindness, body gratitude, body loathing. Like there's a spectrum there. And it is really liberating to be able to define the kind of relationship you want to have with your body, as opposed to what everyone tells you the kind of relationship you should have. And I think a lot of us feel pressured to reach body love. And I love that you put it this way. You were like, body love is the PhD of body image. Not all of us can get there and we don't have to. And I could feel a collective sigh of relief when you said that, because I think we're all taught that that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little nugget I I, I got from, from balance, from, from some colleagues at balance and they would use it to describe like that expectation of being an intuitive eater is also like a pretty PhD level to be a true intuitive eater in the same way that we can think about like body love of like, there are so many steps before that. And maybe there is a different way of being in relationship with food in your body that you get to decide for yourself which I think is, is a tough part about eating disorder recovery and treatment, because often people are seeking the expertise of people to help them feel better. And not everything fits for everybody. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to respond to certain levels of care or certain providers or certain theoretical orientations the same. Some people have, you know, neurodiversity, people with ADHD to tell them to just like listen to their body kind of an unrealistic expectation. And yet a lot of times we're not always finding space to let people have that unique recovery experience. And I think, I think that's another way to bring in just body liberation in terms of body autonomy, body choice around like what you need in your treatment and recovery is different too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think opening up your world and recognizing you have the power to choose you have the options and we're typically prescribed, you know, this is how you get from point A to point B. But in reality, that might not match up with what works for you. So it really is a process of learning yourself mm-hmm. and what you need and what your body needs mm-hmm. and the type of care you need. So mm-hmm. I'm so and glad you brought that up. Yeah. And just even to build on that, like it's needs. And then it's also around things like access and, and care and, you know, socioeconomic needs and barriers, having children, having ailing parents, living in a rural community, being the only BIPOC or queer or trans individual in a treatment center or group is probably going to be less effective because of how much more that individual is carrying and holding beyond the shared experience of recovery. 
So I think it is in this way that liberation is also kind of trying to liberate the whole eating disorder recovery community and treatment centers and groups and providers on like, what else could we be doing to help the individual as opposed to? Yeah. Yeah. It is so important to take an individualized process in your own healing journey. And it's difficult to get there, you know, but it is part of liberation, just making those choices for yourself. I wanted to bring it back to a little bit of your story, actually, because now I'm intrigued hearing about the trip to Ellis Island and, you know, your relationship with your mom and how diet culture impacted the two of you. What was it like for you to venture away from an eating disorder and into a place of body liberation? Well, I would say now, I guess it's only like eight ish years ago. So it's only been about eight years that I haven't been a professional theater artist. Mm. So my entire sort of childhood, adolescence, teenhood, college twenties was all built around this like concept that I was going to be an actor and was an actor for many years. And then that evolved into more like playwright director things like that in my like mid twenties and early thirties. But that is a whole other level. Something I'm deeply passionate about is how performers are also just really given pretty disordered messages about bodies early on, Mm -hmm. right? Of who gets to be a performer, who gets to be on stage, who gets to be on TV, who is allowed to audition for things, who can play particular roles. And so what starts out is like a very precocious, eager, energetic child who loves to like sing and dance to go the route of trying to make that professional. Oh, that gets, that gets disordered really quick. Mm. You know, I went to summer camps for acting in theater where costume designers or directors would make comments about my body or would, or would directly call out size differences amongst myself and my peers. I went away to kind of a boarding school for acting for high school for my senior year. And again, sort of being the only kind of fat kid in the cohort of 20 and just how often I was put in particular roles or a lot of pressure and expectation on if I want to get into a good acting school that I need to think about, like losing weight. So also my experience, I think, is so, <laughs> if I really think about it, fascinating because it's not like I just got it from the one kind of well-meaning family member. I got that message from teachers, coaches, directors, uh, other family members, uh, moms of friends who were theater kids. Like it, it just, I really got that message from every possible angle because it was rooted in like success and career and achievement. Mm. College, I would say is where it was most disordered because it was like the precipice of profession. And so I don't know if you know, do you know much about theater schools? 
like your undergraduate school? Well, I lived in the theater dorm in my freshman year of college by coincidence. I was a communications major, but I was living among the theater kids and that was definitely quite an experience. So I know a little. Yeah. So part of conservatory acting programs, and that's like the BFA. So that's like you go to college and almost all you do is you do theater classes and are in place. So it's a very intense. Yeah. And at the end of semester, they would have these things called panels where you would come and you would maybe sing a song and do a monologue and it would be all your professors like in a row, they would give you feedback. And the feedback I would always get is Danny, you're a very talented performer, but your body is too big, but you gotta, we gotta get, get you down into a size. We gotta think about your future. And if you really want to be successful, you're very talented, but I just, you know, I want what's best for you. I want you to be successful again, sort of coming at it from multiple people at once. It starts to feel true. It starts to feel like the only option. Mm-hmm. Starts to feel like, ah, this is just normal. This is what happens. Like someone in a bigger body cut, pays a lot of money to go to a private acting conservatory. And the main feedback is your body's too big. Like uh-huh. it, it, it sticks with me in a way that I'm pretty, I'm pretty angry about it still. Uh-huh because of how much it affected my experience in college, Mm -hmm. my ability Mm -hmm. to focus and be present and make relationships or make connections or think about what I actually wanted in life. And so that's my main journey. I wish I could say after college, I found body liberation and haze. It took a few more years, but it was actually through a therapist who I was working with around food and body image stuff who said, I gotta write a play about this. You should write a play about it. And so I had a solo, a solo show, one woman show that I did around like fringe festivals in like the early aughts, I guess a little later. So like 2008, 2009. And from that, other peers, other friends would come up to me and say, your story is my story. Like you hearing you talk about your struggle with diet culture and your body and it feeling so consuming and led me to say, oh, let's make more plays about this. And so I evolved into being a performer, into creating artistic work around food and body. And one of the last sort of big shows I did before going off to grad school was a show called Spanks You Very Much. And it was kind of a satire on Spanx. And it had, I think we had like 46 folks in there. And it was like this big dance celebration about body liberation before I even had that language. And that has just been kind of my trajectory is I love thinking about creativity. I love thinking about performance and storytelling and narrative mm. and then authenticity of, I bring my lived experience into a lot of the work I do with clients, mm. which is a little different than what we learn in, in school of trying to be really boundaried and protective of, of our lived experience. But for me, I think about my journey and my body is like a really important tool to help my community, to help my clients, to help the folks I work with. Mm -hmm. So true. And just a comment on that. I, you know, listening to your story, it must have been really angering to go to these amazing acting schools and have these opportunities for true feedback and construction on your craft, and then just get this really superficial 
response where perhaps if you were living in a thinner body, they would have paid more attention to giving you feedback to make you a better actor, as opposed to just saying, just writing it off as once you lose weight, we'll take you a bit more seriously. Is that kind of what you experienced? Because so I was in yeah, together. I think it's a good way to frame it is that like, we didn't get to spend much time of, on other parts of like the creative work or artistic work that could have made me a better artist. But it it did feel like a lot of the times the commentary, especially in those panels, I think more individually with other professors, I had a more intimate and sincere kind of relationship. But it was more like when the whole gang gathered together and they're ready uh-huh. to give each performer feedback, like it, it often felt like mine was rooted in you need to lose weight or when because of the peer pressure and the disorder, my body changed a lot by senior year. Mm. And so then the comments were, bravo, congrats, oh. we're so proud of you. Wow. That also didn't feel good. Yeah, like, that's frustrating. No matter what I do, my body size was like the cent- central part of my identity, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a lot of a lot of folks experience mm-hmm. of how in their family or their relationship or the work they do, it just becomes the focus, the topic of conversation when it's really the least interesting thing about me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your journey to not just discovering body liberation. I know you haven't, you didn't have the words for that for a long time. It sounds like you were able to get creative and create art around body liberation. And in that process, was that how you started to kind of heal yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's also comes back to like that being in community. I think why I, I love group therapy so much is because it, there is an echo of like the ensemble connection of being in a play together or being in a rehearsal room or this shared experience of everyone kind of coming together around something that they really care about that I think it was through the different projects or the different folks who would come in and bring their own lived experience that you you can't help but hear about just the common narratives and to keep saying, oh, this is not, this is not just about us. This is like a bigger thing. So I think my route actually was through like the patriarchal feminist journey of of how that kind of centralized a lot of my experience of, of the male gaze and of expectations of desirability and sex and beauty. And then haze and body liberation, those terms and being a haze provider and being really passionate about sort of systems and social justice work, that really came as my evolution as a therapist. Because also mm-hmm. in graduate schools, we don't learn much about eating disorders. And certainly we're not talking much about size and body justice. It's even then it was something I had to seek out or I, I had a mentor who was a professor who's also an eating disorder drama therapist who is very sort of haze informed and engaged in body liberation. And that's kind of how I chose Mm -hmm. the program as I followed a person who's 
shared beliefs and values and interests were mine. Mm. But even within that, it wasn't until being a balance and balance gave me a lot of autonomy over the groups I ran and the work I did. They were really supportive in terms of like, let me do my own thing. And I think from there, I, I could just feel like the power of, of talking about these things with both fat clients and non-fat clients. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important thing to reckon with for everybody in recovery who are in small bodies mm-hmm. to think about like how embracing body liberation and fat liberation, again, for others, even if that's not something that they identify with, will actually support their own healing, their own recovery. Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually recording a podcast episode with Reagan Chastain and I emailed her after it. And it was the first time I ever put this into words because I live in a thin privileged body. And the reason why I get so excited talking to fat activists and body liberation folks is because I find that narrative is so important even for me because it makes me feel safe if my body were to ever change, if I were to ever live in a larger size body. And in that sense, it, it makes me feel safe and potentially prevent from ever relapsing. Like if my body were to change, I've been filling my mind with fat liberation, body liberation, education for a while now. So I would have the tools to be able to appreciate my body at any size. Yeah. You would have the tools and you would have the support system. Mm -hmm. You would be able to connect with community in a different way. And I think it is, it is so important too, because I think for a lot of folks, a hard thing to reckon with is how much of the eating disorder narrative, even in more of a pop culture, as opposed to the individual is really rooted around a fear of a changing body, of a fat Mm -hmm. body, right? So you kind of think about how there's still a a narrative sometimes that comes up in providers who maybe don't identify as Hayes. That is, that's like, Oh, don't worry. We won't, we won't let you you get right. Oh, don't don't worry. Like if your body changes, we'll figure something else out as opposed to, yeah, your body might change and being fat is fine. It's actually great. Lots of people in fat bodies are living their best, happiest lives. It's also kind of shifting the the fear and the preciousness of like to be fat would be dot, 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 because there's such a mythology around it in the personal, in the more systemic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fat people are treated poorly, are not hired for jobs or discriminated against, but on the personal level, a lot of fat people are are really happy Mm -hmm. in who they are, but we don't often hear those stories, hear those narratives. So also think like that's a part of, of how you are supporting yeah. kind of the body liberation work is really rejecting the narrative that people need to be fearful of if their body changes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. elevating other voices that are like, it's fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we'll give you the tools. <laughs> it's, it's the system. Like I think yes. you, to join in with that as well, I think is really powerful for your community, mm. for other folks who haven't found you yet, that mm. 
will will be able to really hear in in you like a a true ally in this work. Mm, I really do hope so because it is something that I felt to shift in, like just surrounding myself with voices like yours does give a sense of peace. Like it's okay if your body changes, it's, you can have a beautiful full life, no matter what size your body is. And I think you've brought this up to me before. It's not shown on TV shows or movies whatsoever. So finding those stories where, you know, a fat woman being fat, isn't the central narrative of a movie would, you know, is something you want to seek out and find. Yes. Yeah. And there's so much value in it, in, in us kind of having a show like Shrill that came out and that was very powerful for a lot of folks who saw their story reflected in it and a desire then to have fat characters whose plot lines and storylines have nothing to do with their body is, is also important as well mm-hmm. as the way we can kind of tokenize fat bodies mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't, doesn't give them the same respect or narratives or interesting avenues of character exploration mm-hmm. and creativity when it always kind of comes back to the sad fat girl who's got to find her way or uh-huh. like other trope which is the sort of rebel like fuck the system when there's just so much nuance in between mm. yeah there there really is And I'm sure that was partially why it was difficult for you in acting school, because that's where it's really heightened and emphasized, I think, is I remember I did a few plays in middle school, and it was always the individuals in larger bodies who were cast in the typecast roles, like the funny mother or the crazy neighbor or whatever it might be. It was just like, I felt... I, we all knew it, but we had no language to say, this is why you're always getting cast in these roles. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's exactly right. I often think about like where, if I wanted to do some work around supporting that shift in that specific community about how we train actors and performers. Yeah. Is it actually starting with like high school drama teachers? Maybe Mm. because of like really where do people first kind of step into exploring that for most people it's it's middle school it's high school and yeah if if those environments are joining in and casting the fat kids as like the grandma every time it it does create a particular dynamic and narrative and potentially is causing harm in a way that of course nobody intends because it is so normal mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we have to keep doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that would be such a good program to bring in the schools. I feel like there's, I'm hoping there's someone in the world who does that. Yeah. yeah. If not, we'll figure it out. I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any advice for people who want to move closer towards their own body liberation? I mean, first and foremost, I hope, I hope they're in therapy and I hope <laughs> They sit with remembering that if you don't feel like the therapist is a good fit, like keep trying, Mm. or if you don't feel like you found someone who really understands 
eating disorders, who understand being in a body that's changing or in a fat body, it, it is, it shouldn't be on you to have to keep looking. There should be more providers, but often it, it might take a little, a little more work, a little more time. And if it's hard to find a provider where you are, like what virtual options can you access? What other communities are being built in more of a coaching space? Where can you build your own community? If it's feeling like you don't find what you need, I think community is a huge piece of it. And I think someone's team or their provider is included in that community. And it's important that that feels in alignment for what you need or what you want. And that's, that's hard because a lot of folks who do this work too, the practices are full, the groups are full. And so it, it's also, I think, a desire to ha- how do we, how do we f- train more providers to do this work too is of, re- of real importance. Because I also think this is the future of eating disorder treatment and how we talk about this work. I don't think anyone's going to go backwards and say, Never mind, like that whole body liberation thing. I don't really believe in that anymore. I think it's more of, of we have to keep finding spaces and places so people can find it and have access to it because it is really hard to do on your own. And so my recommendation is really to sit in the patience and the persistence that it might take to find the right people or the right community or the right curated Instagram feed or get your TikTok algorithm in a way that feels like it's showing you the messages you want to hear. There's a level of patience to it that can be hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big yes. I think patience is something that everyone needs to be reminded of, mm-hmm. especially in recovery. I think in recovery, we all want to be recovered yesterday (laughs) and you go through a month with your you know your coach say and you're like why aren't I recovered yet and it's like it's not is that how it works we gotta slow things down baby steps and I think it was so helpful for you to also point out that having the right people surrounding you is completely key whether that's community or the right providers you know my my biggest tip, I always say, try to go for someone who's health at every size informed. Yeah. What was that amazing kind of anecdote that you gave at the workshop? That's like our experiences is, is like the six people who we spend the most time with. I think I'm oh, right, it. right. So there, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So this was in our workshop with Balance Treatment Center. And there's always this narrative out there that's like, you're the average of the six people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And we have to say, no, that's not true. You're the average of every influence in your life, every person you interact with, but also the media you select to mm-hmm. surround yourself with, the, the communities you're in. And that's really who you're the average of. So you have the power to curate the right environments for yourself and to leave the ones that are hurting you or are harmful to you. And that's, that's the comparison we made. Yeah. When I even, I even was thinking about it on the flip side, like to, if that kind of concept does hold any weight, then it makes so much sense why it's hard for people to imagine 
that they could feel differently if the most important people in their life or who they spend the most time with are also caught up in their own disordered thoughts and behaviors or diet mm. culture, right? I can't tell you how many times folks with pretty severe eating disorders in, in higher weight bodies work with me in a group or a setting or a workshop or individually after working with therapists for years who would still collude with them in the yeah, maybe if you just try keto, or maybe if you go on Weight Watchers again, or yeah, maybe you should get a Peloton. Like that, that that relationship too, I think, can really stall a lot of folks's journey of of when they are having reflected back to them that yeah, maybe maybe changing your body size would help you feel better when it. It's just, it's not going to help anybody to keep perpetuating that narrative. And it mm -hmm. still shows up in a lot of clinical spaces and a lot of health care spaces, mental health spaces. And that's, you know, that's a part of the community you're in of, of us <laughs> radically trying to, to change that. But it's been so normalized for so long. I have a hunch that a lot of folks want to do this work, but it doesn't feel possible because they don't have people in their life that can reflect back an alternate option or point of view. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's so funny. I've even had therapists tell me that my perspective on health at every size is incorrect. <laughs> and like what I do for a living, like I had a therapist a few years ago who was like, actually, you really can be addicted to food. And he really, and I was just like, what? is this, you know, and I wasn't in therapy for that reason. So I had the space to really say, I'm not going to go there with her. And I ended up not staying with that therapist, but I really do find that it's kind of like the, the secret handshake is just looking for the haze informed care provider. Like if they truly understand what health of every size is, that's going to be at least a step in the right direction to surrounding yourself with people who do have that influence on you. And mm -hmm. if you are in a community that is focused on weight loss or appearance or whatever it might be, it doesn't mean you have to cut everyone out, but you definitely have to fill the, fill your life up with different voices and voices that you connect with the most. And I think coming back to like one of our first points too, like filling your your community or your options, your providers, your Instagram feed with other options so that you can decide what's best for yourself mm -hmm. is really what it comes down to. One of my, mm -hmm. one of my common main points that I like to talk about in groups with clients or individuals is I actually prefer you to be suspicious and to ask questions <laughs> about whether it's haze, body liberation, fat acceptance, I, I want you to be questioning and be suspicious because often how we got here in the first place was some diet or some talking head on the TV said, this is the truth about bodies and weight and it's the only one. And so you must believe it. And that's how a lot of folks sort of go down the rabbit hole of that there felt like there was one option, one way to be in a body and so I prefer people to mm -hmm. be ambitious and ask questions and to push back and to want more examples or more narratives or more experts. I think that's also really important mm -hmm. 
because otherwise we fall into yeah how we got here in the first place for a lot of folks mm-hmm. which is going along with something that didn't feel right for them or they weren't ready to be critical of it and so it just became the norm yes I think that's a beautiful piece of advice to leave off on is just to be critical of what your environment is telling you and always ask questions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. look for different perspectives new perspectives I think like this is just an aha moment I'm having right now, but whenever I find a new perspective that I've never heard before, that takes me one step closer to my own liberation in life. When you can find a new voice, help yourself think of the world differently or question your view of the world, that's the best way to set yourself free. One of the best ways. And to, to be able to sit in the discomfort of being wrong, mm-hmm. sit in the discomfort of making mistakes, of mm-hmm. actually causing harm. Everybody causes harm. It's sitting in the discomfort of maybe having to be accountable and having to sit with some of the things that, that a person has said to other people about their bodies, or mm-hmm. it, it's in the unlearning that isn't always so positive in the body positive way or just love your body kind of way it's it is in that I think challenging hard gritty I kind of want to avoid it I actually don't want to read this but I feel like I should moments that I think is also how people get closer Mm -hmm. to that that -hmm. feeling of liberation Mm -hmm. yes yes indeed I completely agree well Danny Everything you've shared with us today has been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome.